In the last lecture, we were looking at the electrophilic addition to alkenes. We were looking at the difference between the bromonium ion or the iodonium ion mechanism versus the SAPE's normal carbocation mechanism, whereby most other electrophiles add to alkenes. And I said that we were going to discuss this lecture, the stereochemistry of this process, and why the stereochemistry differs between one mechanism, the bromonium ion, iodonium ion mechanism, and the others. Now, the column in that handout that I gave you was headed stereospecific question mark. And before we discuss the stereochemistry, I must first define what we mean by the term stereospecific. Essentially, if you start with one stereoisomer of the starting material, and it produces one stereoisomer of the product, and then you go to the other the second stereoisomer, let's say, of the starter material, and it in turn produces the other, the second stereoisomer of the product. In other words, there's no crossover between the two stereochemical series. Then that reaction is said to be stereospecific. One isomer leads to one isomer, second isomer leads to the second isomer. If, however, you have the situation where the one stereoisomer, let's say, of the starter material gives two stereoisomers of the product, or if two stereoisomers of the product go into only one stereoisomer, sorry, two stereoisomers of the starter material go only into one stereoisomer of the product, then those reactions are not stereospecific. Let's look at our two mechanisms and see how this applies. And we're going to take the bromonium ion case first of all, and we're going to choose an alkene which has two geometrical isomers. That is, the alkene in which the double bond has a hydrogen and a phenol at either end of it is diphenylethene, or stilbene, as it's known. Let's first look what happens when we take the Z or the cis stilbene. The bromine can come in, and it can come in on either face of the alkene, the top face or the bottom. So we end up initially with two bromonium ions one with bromine up and one with bromine down. Now what happens is we've got a bromide anion left behind and that, according to the mechanism we had in the last lecture, is going to attack one of the carbons in an SN2-like fashion from behind the CBr plus bond of the bromonium ion, from behind it, it attacks that, ring opens the three-membered bromonium ion and produces the dibromide product. And again, we can write two products. If we, what we need to do is to keep things consistent, we'll have the bromide anion attacking the same carbon in each case, both from behind. You can actually, because the, the system is symmetrical in this case, you can attack the other carbon. And you can do that for yourself, and I think you'll find you end up with actually the same result. You get the same two products at the end of the day. And what you get here are two diastereoisomers. These two compounds have two chiral centres in them, each bearing hydrogen, bromine, and phenyl. And when you have two chiral centres, you can have more than two stereoisomers of the product. You have actually have two to the n stereoisomers if you have n chiral centres. And if you look at these two, you see that they are both, they are mirror images of one another. They are enantiomers. And you may say, hold on a minute, you said that 
if you go from one stereoisomer of the starting material, you should produce only one stereoisomer of the product. Here we have two. Well, the reason we get two is because they are both enantiomers, and we're starting with a non-chiral starting material, and we're reacting with a non-chiral reagent, bromine, and it is impossible, actually, to produce one enantiomer over the other under those circumstances. You must produce equal amounts of the two enantiomers. But these are diastereoisomers. They have two chiral centers, and these, this pair of enantiomers is classified as one diastereoisomer called the racemic pair because it consists of two enantiomers. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. Let's now look at the other geometrical isomer of the steel bean, our starting material, and see what happens if we go through the same process as we have just done with the Z, the cis isomer. With the E steel bean, we get, again, attack can occur from the top or bottom places, so again we get two bromonium ions. Again, the bromide comes in in an SN2-like fashion on one of the columns, and we can do it in, in for both of these bromonium ions, and we get these two species, which initially look like mirror images of one another. But in fact, if you look very carefully, they are not mirror images of one another. They are, in fact, one and the same molecule. You can tell that by taking that central bond and rotating it so that the two bromides line up in the same plane. And when that happens, you find that the two hydrogens are reflected as well, and the two phenols reflected. In fact, both those compounds we've written are the same molecule. By simple rotation, we convert one into the other. So they are not enantiomers. And indeed, if you look at them very carefully, once we've done this rotation, so the two bromides are in the same plane, both hydrogens, let's say, are behind, both phenols are in front, what you find is that there's a plane of symmetry right through the center of the molecule. The bromine on the left is reflected by a bromine on the right. The hydrogen on the left and back is reflected by a hydrogen on the right and back. And the phenol on the left and front is reflected by a phenol on the left, uh, phenol on the right and front. And molecules with a plane of symmetry cannot exist as enantiomers. In an effect, if you like, the optical activity which is produced by one carbon is automatically an equally counteracted, in an equal sense, by the other carbon, and, event and essentially they have no optical activity. And this is called the meso-diastereoisomer. Now, just by looking at it, you can clearly see that it is a stereoisomer of the racemic pair that we formed above. And now we can see that we do have a stereospecific reaction, because the Z-alkene went to the racemate pair, so-called racemic diastereoisomer, and the E-alkene went to the meso-diastereoisomer. And we didn't get any crossover. We didn't form the racemic from the E and bits of the meso from the Z. They remain separate. So the reaction is stereospecific. Now let's look at another reaction which is not stereospecific. We'll choose chlorine because we want to stay with halogens, we want to keep things perhaps as close as possible. And here we don't form a chloronium ion, not with this alkene. What happens instead is we form this free carbocation. Again, the chlorine can attack from the top or the bottom face of the alkene, so we get two carbocations. And then if we follow a similar pattern to the bromonium ion, we allow our chloride anion to come in, let's say, from the back 
side of the carbon of the carbocation, we again generate the racemic pair, as we did from the E stillbene, from the Z stillbene, sorry, that when we did the bromine addition. But you see, the difference here is if we look at this carbocation intermediate, this has a single bond between the two carbons, the one which bears the chlorine and one which is cationic. And that bond can rotate. In fact, it does rotate very readily. Remember I said when we were dealing with conformations right at the beginning of this lecture series, the rotation occurs very readily at room temperature. And it does occur in this case as well. And if we rotate about that bond, if we just take one of those enantiomeric cover cations and rotate about that bond and then add our chloride in a similar direction as we did before, what we end up with is this stereoisomer, which is the meso stereoisomer. In other words, what we've done is we've started from the Z alkene and we've produced both the racemate diastereoisomer, the racemic diastereoisomer, and the meso diastereoisomer. We've got from one stereoisomer, starting until we've got two stereoisomers of the product. The reaction is not stereospecific. Okay, that's, let's say, the complicated part of this lecture over in terms of stereochemistry. It's quite sometimes difficult to do visually in your mind, and it, it's not a bad idea to try and these things out with models, if you can. Now we look at two further aspects of electrophilic addition, and the first of these is changing the nucleophile in the second step. Note that we have, in both cases, both ADE2 mechanisms, we have the nucleophile, or the anionic part, bromide anion or chloride anion or whatever it is, comes in a second fast step. Can we change that and produce different products? Well, the answer is yes, and I'll give you two examples, one from the bromonium ion case and one from a, a cationic case. Let's take the bromonium ion case first of all. Suppose we take cyclopentene here and we add bromine to that. We go through the bromonium ion, and if we do this reaction in the presence of an excess of, say, lithium chloride, which provides a source of chloride anions. Instead of the bromide trapping the bromonium ion, the chloride anion is there in excess, and it can compete for that trapping, and it will come in and ring open the bromonium ion, and we end up with a product of anti-addition. In this case, because it's in a ring, it's a trans product. We get the trans bromochloropentane. And you see, the, the big advantage of this, synthetically, is that if we wanted to make that compound, bromochloropentane, by a straight electrophilic addition to, sorry, cyclopentane, a straight electrophilic addition to cyclopentene, then we would have to use bromine monochloride. But bromine monochloride is not readily available. It's not a conveniently, not a convenient source of this reagent. And we can actually get the same addition by adding bromine in the presence of the second anion, the chloride anion. And therefore, synthetically, we see we can expand the scope of this electrophilic addition. In the last lecture, I said it's very wide-ranging. By doing this, we can increase the range of products that we can make by adding a sec different nucleophile in the second step. Now let's look at a carbocation mechanism um, example. And this is the addition of mercury acetate or mercury ethanoate to butene in the presence or in methanol as solvent. Methanol is quite a good nucleophile, and it is there in vast excess because it is the solvent. 
So what happens is the mercury, mercury 2 plus, attacks the double bond, forms the intermediate carbocation, and now instead of the ethanoate, the acetate, capturing that carbocation, the methanol captures it. It then loses a proton from the oxygen, and we generate the product, which is a methoxy, acetoxy mercury compound, rather than an acetoxy, acetoxy mercury compound. Again, you see we've made a different type of compound. We've expanded the scope of the reaction. So that's quite useful, changing the neutral in the second step. Now, the last bit about electrical ignition I want to talk about is the regiochemistry of the reaction. What do we mean by the term regiochemistry? We can illustrate this by looking at the addition of HBr to 1-butene. Obviously, we have now an unsymmetrical alkene. And so the HBr could, in principle, add in two ways. We could end up with the bromine in the 2 position of the 2-bromine-butane and the hydrogen in the 1 position. Or the other way around, we could end up with the bromine in the 1 position and the hydrogen in the 2 position. Almost invariably, we get the first case. The bromine ends up in the 2 position and the hydrogen ends up on the, on the end of the chain. This is known as Markovnikov's rule. Markovnikov's rule states that the anionic part of the electrophile, the nucleophilic part of the electrophile, will end up on the most substituted carbon. And you see, we're trying to decide in which region of the alkene the Br ends up on. And that's where the term regiochemistry comes from. Now, why does Markovnikov's rule always occur, or nearly always occur? The answer is that the first addition is of a proton, and we generate a carbocation. And we know from the reactions of alkyl halides, SN1 reactions of alkyl halides, that a tertiary carbocation is more stable than a secondary, which in turn is more stable than a primary carbocation. And if you look at the two routes by which this HBr addition could go, we could either end up with a secondary carbocation, which gives us our 2-bromopropane, or we could end up with a, or we could rather go through a primary carbocation, which would give us our 1-bromobutane, rather. And it's obvious, from what I've just said, that the secondary carbocation being more stable than the primary carbocation, that therefore that is going to be formed to a greater extent, and therefore that is going to determine the nature of the product in the final step. Now, we've seen before with SN1 the reason why a tertiary carbocation is more stable than a secondary, which is more stable than a primary, is because of hyperconjugation. Hyperconjugation stabilizes these carbocations, the tertiary ones, to a greater extent than the other two. Now, it's not immediately obvious, but this also applies to bromonium ions. Bromonium ions don't, of course, go through free carbocations, so one can really ask can we apply this hyperconjugative stabilization theory to bromonium ions as well? And iodonium ions, incidentally. In fact, the example I'm going to give you is, is an iodonium ion example. And the answer is yes. If we look at this example, we start with methyl, one methyl cyclopentene, and we add our iodine monochloride, and we go through this intermediate iodonium ion species. Now, what happens is the charge is not totally localized, positive charge, on the iodine atom. 
there is to some extent a little bit of leakage to the two carbons to which the iodine is, is attached. So we get a delta positive on the carbon bearing the methyl group, delta positive one, let's call it, and another delta positive, a small amount of positive charge, delta positive two, on the carbon not bearing the methyl group. And because of the hyperconjugate stabilization, the charge on the more substituted carbon, the one bearing the methyl group, should be greater than on the less substituted carbon. And indeed, that's what happens when the chloride comes in, it attacks the more substituted carbon in a Markovnikov sense, rather than attack the less substituted carbon. So again, we see, even with bromonium and iodonium ions, we see the same regiochemistry as with carbocation mechanisms, the Markovnikov rule applies. Now what I'm going to deal with is that's the, the end of electrophilic addition, and I just want to look very briefly at radical addition, addition of radicals to alkenes. And there are two reactions which are importance, major importance in this for, for yourselves, and that is the addition of HBr in the presence of peroxides. That's number one. And the second is the polymerization of alkenes. What happens with the addition of HBr in the presence of peroxides? What we find is we end up not with the two bromides. If we take one butene, as we did with the electrolytic addition a minute ago, if we take one butene and treat it with HBr in the presence of peroxides, we don't get two bromobutane. We get one bromobutane, apparently anti-Markovnikov addition. Why is that? Well, the mechanism is a free radical chain reaction, rather like the halogenation of alkanes. What happens is the peroxide splits to give alkoxy radicals, and the alkoxy radicals abstract a hydrogen atom from HBr to give bromine radicals. The bromine radicals now add on to the double bond to give a carbon radical, and the bromine adds on to the terminus position to give the secondary radical rather than the other way around to give the primary radical because of hyperconjugation again we get the more stable secondary radical with a bromine on the one position and the radical site on the two position. That radical now abstracts a hydrogen from a further molecule of HBr and completes the synthesis of the one bromopropane and regenerates Br dot, which then goes on to attack another alkene. So see, although this is anti-Markovnikov addition, the reason for it is precisely the same as Markovnikov addition. That is, the intermediate, be it radical or cation, should be more stable. And the only reason we see a complete change in the regiochemistry is because in electrophilic addition, we add H plus first, followed by Br minus second, whereas in the radical addition, we add Br dot first, we add the bromine first, and then the hydrogen second. So it's the order of addition which has resulted in the two different regiochemistries in the reactions. So that's HBr addition under peroxide uh, influence. Now let's look at the polymerization of alkenes. Supposing we decompose our peroxide or any other initiator, anything which will produce radicals, in the presence of our alkene, but in the absence of any source of hydrogen atoms, such as our HBr, provided hydrogen atoms to our radicals. What happens then is the initiator adds on to the alkene to generate the secondary radical, but as before, as the bromide did. 
This radical now has got nothing to abstract hydrogen from, and therefore what it does is it adds on to another alkene to give another carbon radical. And then that process is repeated on and on and on until the alkene is used up. And we end up with a saturated polymer of the original alkene. Now the alkenes I've illustrated have group R there as a generalized group, but if R equals chloride, the starting material is called vinyl chloride, and the resultant polymer is polyvinyl chloride, or PVC, which no doubt you've heard about. And if R is phenyl, then the starting material is styrene, and the resultant polymer is polystyrene, the stuff that we find in packing uh, goods which are sent by post and so forth. Okay, so that's polymerization. And lastly in this lecture, I just want to briefly mention the general equation for the third type of addition to alkenes, which is concerted addition. In concerted addition, what we have is the electrophile, let's call it EX again, comes in, the double bond, and essentially we don't go through any intermediates, we form the carbon to E and the carbon to X bonds in one go. In other words, they're being formed in concert, if you like, and that's where the concerted name comes from. Now you notice when we do that, because the E and the Y must add on to one face, they can't, you can't form the CE bond on one face and the CX bond on the other. Because they both add on, the E and the X add on to the same face, we must initially form, during this addition, a syn conformation of the saturated product. And indeed this is called syn addition, to contrast it with the anti-addition which we saw with bromine addition. So this is syn addition, it is a stereospecific reaction, but the two groups add on in different stereochemistry to the anti-addition of bromine addition. So what we've seen is we've seen the stereochemistry of anti-addition, bromine addition to alkenes. We've seen how that differs from um, the stereochemistry when we have a simple alkene which proceeds through, or, or an electrophile which proceeds through a carbocation mechanism. We've seen that we can take that mechanism, we can add a second nucleophile, or another nucleophile in the second step, and generate different products, whether it's a bromonium ion or a carbocation mechanism, it doesn't matter. And we've seen that the regiochemistry of that addition is dictated by the, st the stability of the carbocations. We've also seen that radical addition can be done. In this case, we get the reverse regiochemistry from electrophilic addition with HBr, or we can polymerize our alkenes. And finally, we've just made a start on concerted addition, and we'll be looking at some examples of concerted addition in the next lecture.